In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. On this holy night, we go back to the beginning. We go back to the beginning and we listen for the word. We listen for the creative word. We look for the word that calls universes into being and commands light out of the darkness. We listen and look for the word that is the presence of the creator, the divine self-disclosure. We go back to the beginning of creation and we look and we listen for a word of hope. But this word is opaque for most of us at best, at least until we are given ears with which to hear and eyes with which to see. And so the creator of all that is, the Lord of life, takes on finitude, the finitude of created things, inviting implicitly into the divine being both, both life and death and loss. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in God this night, who is born unto us and into the world as a sign, divine self-disclosure in one who begins life as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so the word is a sign. The birth of this babe is significant. It signifies a relationship that is all in, a complete commitment of the creator to the creation And so the sign is a sign for us that the hope of the world is not misplaced. The hope for salvation that is understood as justice, that justice can be achieved without violence, and that some abstract notion of unity cannot subsume particularity, historical stuff, the real warp and woof, the up and down, the life and death of relationship. For me, reasonable and holy hope of a dramatic kind has been in short supply in recent years. At least I found it hard to come by. As with most of you, I've been sustained at a personal level by all the things that really sustain our lives and which in some ways constitute almost a a summary of our Lord's Prayer. We're sustained by daily bread and forgiveness and the capacity to be grateful. And above all, we are sustained by love. But on a larger scale, a national scale, an international scale, the birth of the babe of Bethlehem in that stable has been easy to forget in the face of formerly trustworthy institutions and people showing our trust misplaced. I have never, at least I don't believe I have ever sought salvation in politicians. But I do expect the checks and balances of the finest democracy in the world to function to further community and even compassion in our common life. And as usual, it is the poor, more than any other, that pay the price of governmental failure. I don't expect bankers to be particularly moral or immoral related to the rest of us. And I count some bankers, some of you, among my friends. But the banking system is founded on trust, and that trust has been betrayed. Has it not been those with the least resources who have been the first victims of practices that are apparently very difficult to control? There's bad news around. There's bad news in the growing gap between rich and poor. 
There's bad news when we can't seem to muster the will to enact some well-thought-out and sensible, even if minimal, restrictions to access to guns. And bad news for the church. There's a plethora of books talking about the demise of the church and the challenges of the church and what's wrong with the church and how everybody doesn't care about the church, even as the clergy plummet down the lists of trustworthy professions. It's not good. It's hard to hear the creative word, the word of hope. But this Christmas... I am finding a kind of renewed hope for the kind of justice that the prophets sought, the kind of hope for the poor, the kind of hope for the mighty act of God that Paul and others saw in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the hope for justice that was called salvation, the kind of reasonable and holy hope that has led the faithful down the ages to do great things, to create wonderful institutions. Let's just think about schools And let's just think about hospitals, for starters. I've begun to be renewed with a sense of real and holy hope in what is, for me, a most unlikely place. And that is in the Pope. Pope Francis has awoken in me a glimmer of hope that there is such a thing as change we ought to believe in. Francis, as I understand it from his copious press, was not expected to be an agent of change. He was allegedly the runner-up to Cardinal Ratzinger, who some of my Roman friends affectionately call, or I said believe it's affectionately, Papa Ratzi. <laughs> Francis was expected to be of the same rule-bound rigidity as his predecessor, Benedict, and before him, John Paul II. But as James Carroll has written of Francis, the move from rule by non-negotiable imperatives to leadership by invitation and welcome is as fundamental to the meaning of the faith as any dogma. As the conservatives in his church like to point out, he's changed no fundamental doctrine, but he has changed the tone of a major institution of our world, focusing more on people than on rules, and especially on those who are poor and those people who are marginalized. It gives me hope. He's made symbolic gestures of style that seems to be one for which the world is hungry and which I know I'm hungry, giving up palace and giving up those rather dodgy red slippers. <laughs> See, the effect is timely for Christians of all stripes and everywhere. Of course he's being challenged. Of course he's being attacked. But practice does shape belief. We know that, even as belief shapes practice. Maybe he'll move closer to the very distinct but related project that is Anglicanism, of finding Catholicity first in relationship and allowing that to shape doctrine rather than the other way around. He gives me hope that real, systemic, important change is possible through following the way of Jesus, a way that presents a fundamentally different narrative to all those narratives that are violent and destructive and degrading and blaming the narratives of the world. I've found hope elsewhere. I've found hope, as many of you have, in reflecting again on the life of Nelson Mandela, another man for whom symbolic gestures were world-changing signs, significant symbolic words, in a sense. He refused to condemn those who had condemned him. He initiated that process of truth-telling, 
reconciliation. He reached across the racial divide of his country through the medium of sport, among other things, rugby to be specific. Even the journals and commentators have gone to town with glee when Francis seems to make a comment about perhaps capitalism doesn't need to be greedy or some such thing. Even they have written in praise of the extraordinary character of this extraordinary man. And his life, the integrity of his life, particularly as he came out of prison and shaped that country, his life gives me hope that real change is possible. And closer to home, I think, I th I'm not known to pander to bishops, I'll just be clear about that, but I think we have a bishop that is bringing some real change. Bishop Rob Wright, he's discouraging business as usual. He's urging us to dare greatly. He recognizes that vision will be resisted, but urges upon all of us the courage that comes from faith. He's not only speaking words, he's providing tools, teachers, conferences, for clergy and laity alike. He's not going to lead a church in decline. He's going to help us become again a lively diocese, a lively statewide community of Jesus for the future. Jane Weston, our own Jane Weston, was ordained deacon last Saturday. And 600 people came to her ordination. Now, there were others being ordained, I admit. But <laughs> 600 people. And among the things that our bishop urged on us was courage based in our assurance, the assurance that we are beloved of God and that we are of infinite value. I didn't use this phrase, but we're of infinite value because we're made by love for love. And he said, with that courage, pay close attention here because courage attracts critics and the status quo will elegantly defend itself as you try to break free from the alligator's jaws. Bishop Wright is preaching to the converted here at All Saints, but he's saying what needs to be said to many a tired and anxious priest in many a tired and anxious parish. He'll be with us for our parish weekend next fall, and there or somewhere else perhaps you'll find that spark of hope being waken, awoken in you as well. Even closer to home, we had a fire on this block last night in the second floor of J.R. Crickets, the restaurant on Spring Street, and it threatened the men of our covenant community who were asleep. And there was an employee, the last employee there, very late, early hours of the morning actually, called Terry. I'm afraid that's all the name I know of Terry. Terry, an unfaithful employer of Goodfellas, who last night was, as it were, keeping watch over the block by night. And he saw a flickering light. It wasn't an angel. It was coming with smoke, and he saw flame, and he sprang into action, and he went to Covenant Community, banged on the door, bringing tidings of not such good news on the face of it to those men who have been homeless themselves. But actually, it was really good news for them, for these formerly homeless men, because they would not be created, made homeless again last night in the face of Christmas because of fire, because Terry had seen a fire had woken the men of covenant from their slumber in their meagle stable and, in a sense, spread the word abroad with a deft tug on the fire alarm that is just inside the door of covenant community. What gives me hope, apart from the capacity to have a little fun here and there with a terrible story, what gives me hope is that the reality is that the community of this small, 
insignificant block is still a place where important things happen. And holy hope is reborn, and faith is restored, and lives are quite literally saved, and all as a response to that birth in Bethlehem, that creative word all those years ago. Kathy Lee, known to many of us, has written a beautiful poem for Christmas, the basis for the elegant, gradual anthem we heard tonight. Eric Nelson was commissioned by Ray and Beth Chenault to compose the work. Kathy and Eric are with us here. It captures our longing for real hope. Somewhere in time, we hear the cry. It speaks of the invitation to find renewed hope, awakened as we remember the babe of Bethlehem and his story. It points to our being reborn, to our own births continually in God's grace as we seek to return to that word in that meager stable and to celebrate the Lord of life who waits to meet us there. This is invitation. This is invitation to all of us, but particularly to anyone who wants to recommit his or her life to following the way of Jesus this night. Anyone who has thought maybe for the first time there is something here that is the fruit or the source of real and holy hope. If you decide to answer the invitation to respond with commitment or recommitment or renewed commitment, be sure to tell someone else what you did and allow Christmas to be real and allow your hearts to overflow. As family, we remember Together, we gather and we return to the stable bear to celebrate the Lord of life. He waits to meet us there. Let the people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.